probably know is we, we're in the process of getting a new sound system, but because of all the supply shortage stuff, it's who knows when it's all going to get here. But every time we plug in our guitar, we it messes stuff up, so we haven't been doing that lately. Hopefully, we'll be able to have that soon. Well, we are doing this series starting this week, and like I've said, this isn't something that I'm super gifts. I'm, I'm studying this and, and learning, and I had a, uh, in, in my master's here recently, I had a class um, where it's called pneumatology, which is the study of the spirit, where that was part of the class, and it, it made me realize there is so much about spiritual gifts, about the, spirit, the outpouring of the spirit, that I'm just not well-versed in. Um, and I think many of us are not well-versed in. And, and so it made me think and realize that this is probably something that we need to discuss, something we need to dive into. And, and it's something that I'm doing alongside of everyone else, studying what it means. You know, we, we understand that as believers, the Spirit of God rests within us, resides within us. But what does it mean for that Spirit to pour out from us, to, to manifest itself and, and spiritual gifts and, and, and outpourings. And so that's what we're going to be studying. That's what we're going to be discussing over the course of these next few weeks and, and, and this series. And I'll just open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump on in. Father God, we understand that you are working in this world in so many ways. And we know that through your Son and through the apostles, we know that his spirit is at work within us, that it manifests it, itself in, in gifts, and that you use us for your glory and for your kingdom's cause. God, as we study what this means for us, as we study the implications of this, Lord, speak to us and teach us, empower us to, to desire to know more about you, to desire to have your spirit work and pour out of us. God, open up our eyes this morning, open up our ears, and speak through this message. Let your will be done. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You know, there is a, a tendency or a trend in the world that is far different from what might have been taking place 30, 40, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. If you remember, I don't remember because I wasn't born yet, but some of you would remember back in the 70s and 60s with all the, the, the wiretapping and the phone stuff. You know, I, I can remember my dad and my, my grandparents telling me about Big Brother, you know, no one wanting to have their phone um, conversations picked up and everyone was, was worried about the government knowing their information and, and, and keeping all that clean and, and not having that get out there. Now, I don't know to what extent that actually took place because I didn't live through the time, but I know that it was a worry on the minds of many people. But I contrast that and think about that with the trend that we're moving towards today which is get as much information out there as possible. You know, we, we know that all that information is out there. You know, we, we do everything online. We do everything from our phones. And we're not really necessarily worried anymore about who sees it. And, it, and it's an incredible trend. 
And part of our incredible shift in trend, and part of that trend from before was also that you know, people were going off the grid. They were afraid of the government tracking them, afraid of people knowing where they were, knowing their information, so they would just go live somewhere in Utah or in Wyoming and Alaska and just go off the grid, you know. That was more common probably then than it is now. Now we want to stand out. And if I don't know how many of you are up to date on social media, I'm not, um, so I, I don't know a lot about this, but there is a term called Insta-famous where people are trying, people become famous simply because people know who they are. And they have enough followers on Instagram or on Twitter or on some social media platform that they become well-known. They become famous. And, and this trend is all about people wanting to stand out. And, and there are psychological analyses and, and different things that, that discuss how kids in, in my generation and the younger generation they, they don't care what it is that they're standing out for. They just want to be known. They don't care if it's for something good or something not so good. If it's fame or if, if it's infamousness, people want to stand out. There's this desire now, this trend towards being known and sticking out, regardless of what it is. And, and so we accumulate followers on social media. We, we find some niche that people start recognizing us for, and, and we try to gain as many followers in that thing as possible. And, and with this trend of standing out, we, we want people to be acutely aware of our existence, of our personality traits, of our successes, of our, of our talents, of, of the things that make us stick out. And in the era of social media, there's this innate desire within the world and within the hearts and minds of people, especially people my age and younger, to become known, to be, to stick out. And much of this trend, you know, we, we can attribute it to a lot of things, but it's part of this human desire of self-centeredness, of I want to be known, I want to be successful, I want people to see who I am. And, and it's this this desire for self-gratification. And unfortunately, you know, this is a trend within the world. This is going on in the world, but it's beginning to seep into the church as well, where we take our talents, and even within the setting of the believers, even within the setting of the church, we take what we might do well, and we use it to place ourselves on a pedestal, to be come known to for people to look at us and see us when in reality the things that we do well the gifts that we have the things that God has bestowed upon us are meant to be his glory for for his kingdom and so this morning you know we're not going to really dive into this morning the different spiritual gifts but we are going to look at the purpose of spiritual gifts, what sets them apart specifically from maybe natural talents. What, why do we have, why did God give us spiritual gifts? What are spiritual gifts and, and how do they define us as believers? Those are, the, those are the things that we'll be looking at this morning. In order to do so, there's a, an excellent chapter, a few chapters in 1 Corinthians. And over the course of this series, we'll be looking at chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians specifically. This is an excellent chapter for us 
Because the Corinthian church, in a lot of ways, reflects the modern church today. There was a lot of times where they would have a hierarchical system based off spiritual gifts. There was a lot of morality issues that were seeping into the church. There was a lot of questionable ethics within the Corinthian church. And a lot of that reflects the state of the world today and the state that the church might be gravitating towards today. And so we can place ourselves contextually in the Corinthian church more so than many of the other letters that Paul has written. And in chapter 12, he begins to discuss what it means for the Spirit to pour out. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 12 this morning. I'm just going to read the whole section there real quickly. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual things, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities. But the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common Good. So before we do anything in this series of spiritual gifts, we have to understand what spiritual gifts are, what what it encapsulates. And to do that, we have to find the terminology that Paul is using here. Some of your translations in verse 1, where Paul says, now concerning spiritual things, many of your translations, raise your hand if your translation says concerning spiritual gifts. Quite a few. Mine does too. The Greek word there is spiritual things. It's not, he's not specifically saying gifts here. It's not an improper translation. But I, I think saying concerning spiritual things fits the theme of what Paul's about to do. Over the next few chapters, Paul's about to sit down and discuss what it means for the spirit to pour out of the believer. Now, So he's saying right here, headline for a new course, a, a shift in his letter. Now, Corinthian church... We're going to discuss spiritual matters, spiritual things, what it means for the spirit to pour out of the believer. So he doesn't use the word gift per se in this verse, but in verse 4, he does. He says, now there are different gifts. And the word that he uses there is charisma. It's based off of the word charisma, which means grace. And if you know anything about or if you recognize that word charisma, you might have heard it in reference to the charismatic church, um, often associated with the Pentecostal church. And, and those are the churches that really focus on the spirit outpouring, speaking in tongues, prophecy, things of that nature, that you know, the charismatic church focuses a lot more on that than maybe the evangelical church might. And it's not to say we're two different churches. We both believe in Christ but there's a little bit more emphasis in the charismatic movements and the Pentecostal movements on the spirit than maybe so in the evangelical church. Now, that word, charisma, means grace. And it's translated as gift, but it means the gift, a, a gracious gift. Something that was given without any reason to give it. 
God didn't owe us a gift. We didn't pay for this gift. It was something that he bestowed upon us. And this is really important, though, for us to recognize something about spiritual gifts. There is a difference between spiritual gifts and natural talents. And Paul is going to hint at that here in a little bit, but we have to identify that spiritual gifts are things that specifically come upon someone who believes in Christ. Someone with whom the spirit of Christ is within them. A spiritual gift is not going to come upon a non-believer. But that doesn't mean that a non-believer is going to be untalented. And, and the way we understand this is by there's two, there's two descriptions of grace within the terms of God. Grace, which is upon all Common grace might be things like intelligence or having the ability to live or having fertile ground to grow crops or, or just having wildlife and, 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 and land in general. That's common grace. That is something that everybody, regardless of whether they believe in Christ or not, has. That is a, a gift that humanity did not deserve, that we did that we didn't pay for, but God gave us. Life, intelligence, the ability to grow. Those are things that all people share. And part of that comes natural talent. All, whether you believe or not, are, are given some sort of natural talents, have some sort of natural talents within us. You know, not every, many famous athletes aren't believers in Christ. They, you but they're athletic. They have this affinity. They have this natural talent. Now, there is a difference, then, between common grace, a gift that goes for all people, and spiritual grace, special grace, as uh, John Calvin calls it. That is put directly upon someone who believes in Christ. This type of grace is only given to the person whose spirit, or whose who has Christ's spirit dwelling within them. That's special grace. And that sort of grace is what gives you ultimately eternity, gives you a presence with God, gives you a, a, an innate awareness of, of the way God is at work. And then it also brings spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts are something that maybe before you became a Christian, before you became a believer, you might have had a partially, uh, partial ability towards. You might have been smart, you might have been intelligent, but when the Spirit comes upon you, your eyes are open, and, and you are aware of things that you never would have been aware of on your own accord. Or maybe beforehand, you didn't have the ability to prophesy, but now God speaks to you in ways that are intelligible and that you can speak to the world. And we'll get into the of the Spirit later on, but the point is, there is a difference between spiritual giftedness that comes from special grace and natural talents, which is just a part of the common grace that God bestowed upon all of creation when he created it. This then brings us into what Paul goes on to say about the difference between something being from God and from nature. 
Now, obviously, God created nature, so all of nature is from God. But listen to what he says here in in verse 2. He's talking to the Corinthians. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Now, it's important to understand the context of the Corinthian church here. The, the, the Corinthian church, the, the Corinth, the city of Corinth, was a massive city. At that time, there was over 200,000 people that would have lived in this city. And in this city, every Greco-Roman city had Greco-Roman gods that governed or were a part of that city. And there was temples littered throughout cities that worshipping Greco-Roman gods. And Corinth was no different. They had three. There, there was Aphrodite, uh, Melkart, and Apollos. And each uh, Greco-Roman god was, uh, had to do with a certain aspect of nature. Aphrodite was with love. Melkart was with sailors and, 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 and um, weather. And Apollos had to do with the arts. Now, the point that I'm making here is that the pagan world, really all of the world that isn't Christian, associates deities and gods and religion with an explanation of things that are happening in nature. Okay? Take, for, exa- for example, the Israelites and Baal. The, the, the god Baal in, in the time of the Israelites was used to explain thunder and lightning and fertility in the soil. Pagan deities are used as a way for humans to explain something in nature in a way that they can construct it. And so, in order to explain how love works in nature, the Greco-Roman culture had Aphrodite. In order to explain the gifts of arts, they had Apollos. The sailors and and their weather had Melkart. Now, what Paul is saying is, you know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by these things. He's saying, when you were pagans, you recognized, you, you worshipped these gods, you, you gave these gods the glory in, in, in saying that all these natural things come from them. But he's saying, but, but now you're believers. Now you have recognized that none of these things come from mute idols. They can't speak, they can't interact, they were created by your hands. You were using them to explain something that was beyond your com- your, your ability to comprehend. But now you know God. You intimately know God. You have his spirit within, within you. And you understand that this comes from him. That spiritual things aren't delivered to you by mute idols. By nature itself. But by the God who created all of nature. That's an important distinction to make. Sure, because of common grace, we all have talents and natural affinities. But it is God and his spirit within us that we have a spiritual giftedness, that we have an ability to communicate with God, that we have an eternity awaiting for us because of his grace. And he goes on and and reiterates this even further. In verses 4 through 6, he says, Now there are different gifts, which we'll get into next week. He says there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. 
There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. And you might not realize it, but he just referenced the Trinity there. God the Spirit, God the Son, God the Father. The Lord, the Spirit, and God the Father. And he's saying that all of the spiritual things, all of the gifts, all of the ministries, all of the, 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 the power that, that we have as believers is produced within each person by God alone. By the Godhead, by the Trinity alone. So for us to go into the world and, and, and use any sort of natural talent or affinity we have or spiritual gift that we have as a believer and to use that and, and look at ourselves and glorify ourselves in that process as an affront to where that giftedness comes from. So what we learned so far is that both spiritual gifts and natural talents come from God's grace. From common grace for natural talents, special grace for spiritual gifts. And we understand that spiritual gifts are specifically given to those of us who have Christ's spirit within us. And, and that without those gifts, we see the world differently. We, under, we, we try make sense of things in ways that we can't actually do so, like the pagans and their mute idols. And then we see something else. What's the purpose of them? We know they're from God, but what is the purpose of the spiritual gifts? In, in verse 3, Paul says to, to the Corinthians, Therefore I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. That's an important point that Paul is making. Because he is, what he is saying is that the Spirit of God is what recognizes the spiritual things of God. If you have the Spirit of God within you, you are not going to say Jesus curse. You are not going to... to not give God glory. You are not going to dismiss Christ. You are not going to dismiss God as being sovereign. But if you have the Spirit of God within you, you are going to submit to Him, worship Him, glorify Him, and use all of your abilities in order to do so. He continues in verse 7, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of glorifying and serving God. They're given to us for the purpose of returning glory to God, but then serving his kingdom and making sure everyone in the world knows that God is the one that's in control. When I was in high school, or going into high school, when I was in eighth grade, they wanted you to decide what you were going to do with the rest of your life as an 8th grader, which I don't know if they still do that now or not. But I remember I had this exam that I had to take like two weeks before finishing 8th grade. And it was a self-examination exam, which I guess you can't fail a self-examination exam, but I, I don't know. I remember I had to take this exam, and it was trying to figure out what you're most talented in, what you're most gifted in, what, what is it that you have an affinity for. And I remember I took this exam, 
And I just, you know, an eighth grader, which is silly to me. Why do they have eighth graders taking this thing? I didn't care about a lick about it. I just, you know, started throwing answers down. And I remember I got my schedule for high school, like two weeks before school started, and I had a bunch of business classes. I'm thinking, why am I taking business classes? And then I remembered on my self-examination thing, I, I must have shown that I have an affinity for business. And if any of you know me, especially Isabella, I am not a business person. I, I am not like, I, I'm good with maybe making budgets for ourselves, but I, if, if, if we're selling something, someone gives us an offer, I take it. I don't, it doesn't matter how low it is. I'm not a business-minded person. And Isabella, I'll tell, hey, I, I was able to sell such and such. How much you get for it? This much. What? <laughs> you sold it? I don't care. I'm just not a business-minded person. But the point is, we have these exams and tests that we've concocted so we can try to find what it is that makes us stick out for personal gain. We, we have this attitude towards what we have an affinity for, what we have a talent with, what we have that makes us stick out. And it's not for the sake of even the social world. It's not even for the sake of, I want to make the people around me better. It's, what are you good at so that you can succeed in life? What are you good at so that people know your name? What are you good at so that you become a household identity? But what Paul is saying, when the spirit is within you, that spirit is for the sake of recognizing that Jesus is Lord. When the spirit is within you, that spirit is manifesting itself for the good of people. Not for the good of yourself, but for the good of the kingdom of God and for bringing glory to God. So as we move forward in this series, we have to recognize that spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of glorifying and serving God. And I want, to, I want to close, there's a passage in Ephesians where, where Paul is talking about spiritual gifts as well. And, and he, he, in verses, it's Ephesians 4, 7 through 8. And in these verses, he discusses gifts a little bit, talking about grace, that word that we unpack. And he says, now grace, that's charisma, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Or grace is charis, Christ's gift is charisma. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. And he gave gifts to the people. Now that passage there in verse 8 is a quote from Psalm 68. Psalm 68, 18. And that psalm is about a... Is, is glorifying God for winning a battle and taking his plunder. So he wins this battle. The, uh, David is giving glory to God for the battle, for the battle belonging to the Lord. God gets the plunder from the victory. And, and, and where it says in Paul's, what Paul says, where it says he gave gifts to the people, and the psalm, it's, and he took, takes the plunder. So there's a little tweak there. And someone who was a 
a Jewish believer growing up knowing the Psalms, they would have read, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, and they would have been thinking and the plunder for himself. But then it says he gave gifts to the people. And so a Jewish believer might have been thinking, well, that's not what the Psalms says. What Paul is emphasizing here is that in Jesus' victory on the cross, he took those who were captive, which is us. We were captive by sin. We were captive by death. We were held to the bonds of those things, and he took us who were captive, and now he holds us captive to himself. Now he holds us in his power. We serve him in his kingdom, and we are no longer held by sin and death, but by life and love and the spirit of God. He took captive those who were captive. And he, Paul is using a, a double entendre here and saying, and we were his plunder. So he is saying by taking us captive, he's taking away what Psalm 68 says, that he takes the plunder. And he's saying, no, the captives that were captive that he now takes, that's his plunder. So God's desire in winning this battle is that we are now his. And in being his, Paul says he gave gifts to the people. So what are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts is the spirit that dwells in us because we have been taken captive by God. Spiritual gifts is the outpouring of the spirit within us because God took us captive. And in the ancient world, when someone was, became a slave, slavery in that time was different than what we have in our mind. It, it, it wasn't an abusive thing. People would sell themselves into slavery in order to pay off a debt or something. And when that happened, that slave became a part of your household. You were in charge of making sure that slave was fed. You were in charge of making sure that, that slave survived and, 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 and lived. And people would sell themselves as slaves in order to ensure that they could survive. What Paul is saying here is we have been captive by God. And as being his captives, he provides for us. His spirit resides in us. His spirit pours out from us. And if it's not doing that, then... Are we actually captive? If his spirit isn't manifesting in our lives, are we really a part of his family? Because Paul clearly here associates being a part of the family of God, being held captive by God with receiving his spirit and his gifts. And so what we're going to be looking at here over the course of the next few weeks is what it means for those gifts to pour out from us. What they look like. But we have to ask ourselves. Have we given ourselves to God? Have we been taken captive by him? Have we willingly given up ourselves to him? Because until we do that. His spirit's not going to be within us. His spirit comes into us when we become a part of his household. And so that's something that we each have to look at ourselves and say, is the spirit pouring out from me? Is the spirit within me? Because if you can't say confidently yes, then maybe there's something hindering you with that relationship with God. 
Maybe you haven't fully given yourself to him. Maybe you're still captivated by the world instead of fully allowing God to captivate you. And if you know without a shadow of a doubt that you've not been captivated by God, well, all I can say is you will not have the spiritual gift of eternity until you allow him to captivate you. That's the most important decision that can ever be made. That unless we allow God in his victory to captivate us, to capture us, to bring us in, we won't have the spiritual gift, the grace that brings eternal life with him in his presence. And so this morning, as we close this message, as I close with a word of prayer and we, we worship together one last time, I encourage every single one of us to ponder that. Have we allowed God to capture our hearts? Is his spirit dwelling within us? Do we see it? Do we feel it? Is it moving within us? That's something we all have to assess. But a part of being a part of his family, that his spirit now should reside in every single one of us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, I just ask that we are a church that desires to be held captive by you. That we give ourselves to you, submit to you, and that your spirit pours into us. And that it outpours from us. And that we acknowledge daily that it's your spirit and belonging to your household that has given us an eternity. That has reshaped the way we see the world that has reshaped the way we live because we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for you. God, change our hearts in that way. Be the breath that's in our lungs. Thank you for your love and for your son. It's in his name that we pray.